hopefully, by now you've turned to Second Chronicles chapter 34. <laughs> um, I got to move this morning. I have a lot of notes, and I'm hoping that I can get to it all. Um, so we're just going to go for it. Second Chronicles 34. This is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. Um, it's about a king named Josiah. Starting in verse 1, it says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of David, his father, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, everyone will say, while he was yet a boy. While he was yet a boy. Let's do a little bit of math here first off. I know it's a little bit early and it's a Sunday. Uh, but let's do a little bit of math. So he was how old when he, was, uh, when he started to reign? He was eight years old. And how old? It says in the eighth year of his reign. So how, how old is he now? Sixteen years old. He began to seek the Lord while he was yet a boy. And in the twelfth year of his reign, how old is he now? Yeah, oh, that was less, uh, less confidence there. <laughs> I heard since 20? 20? I don't know. Yes, he was 20 years old. He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram and the carved and metal images, and they chopped down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and he cut down the incense altars that stood above them, and he broke... And, and he broke in pieces the ashram and carved in metal images, and he made dust of them and scattered them over the graves of those who sacrificed to them. And he goes on and on about how Josiah took this stand, and he said, I'm going to partner with the Lord. It says, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the Lord. And when he had sought the Lord and he had received from God, he began to, to start caring about God's uh, will for, for Israel. And that was pretty awesome. But I think it gets uh, it's, a, it's a little bit cooler as we as we go uh, as we go on. Um, let's see in verse fourteen. We're going to skip down to verse fourteen because Josiah tells he he gives this uh, decree to go and kind of restore the temple. That's what he that's what he says. Go restore the temple. Take the money, um, put it toward the temple, and it says while they were bringing out the money that in that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. I think this is incredibly interesting because that implies that the book of the Lord was lost. The book of the Lord was lost and when they when they began to when they began to see this revival happen and Josiah took a stand, all of a sudden Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and Shaphan brought the book to the king and further reported to the king, all that was committed to your servants they are doing. They have emptied out the money that was given in the house of the Lord. And they've given it to the hand of the overseers and the workmen. And then Shaphan the secretary told the king, and I don't know why I necessarily find this um, just a powerful statement, but it just hit me. It says, then Hilkiah the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it, read from it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And then, of course, it goes on, and Hilkiah, or, uh, Josiah 
reads the, the, the book of the law, and he begins to do everything, carefully do everything that the book of the law of the Lord told him to do. If I had a, a title for this message, it would, be, it would be called Rediscovering Theology. Rediscovering Theology. In Galatians chapter 1, this is what it says. This is a similar, similar type of story. In the Old Testament, in Second Chronicles, we, we see that, that the book of the law of the Lord was lost and that people were starting to do um, all of, the, all of the, the things that, um, that the surrounding countries had brought in. They were being influenced by the surrounding nations and not by the one true God because the book of the law of the Lord had been lost. In Galatians chapter 1, it says this, I'm surprised that you're leaving Christ so soon. You were chosen through his loving favor, but now you are turning and listening to another kind of good news. This is the NLT. No, there is not another kind of good news. There are some who would like to lead you in the wrong way. They want to change the good news of Christ. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach another kind of good news to you that is not the one we preached, let him be cursed. As we said before, I will say it again. If any man is preaching another good news to you, which is not the one you have received, let him be cursed. So again, today we're going to talk about theology. I know you guys are so excited when you hear that word theology because it's such a uh, fun and entertaining type of, no, I don't know. Uh, but uh, I, I think I think this is going to be great. I love this. Um, you know, this is something that the Lord's really put on my heart the last the last few months is this idea of coming back to solid biblical theology, coming back to that. And so, uh, in, in order to 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 start talking about theology, we have to know what is theology. Theology simply means it's it's the study of the nature of God. It's a study. It's studying about who God is. You can, you can kind of go a little bit further maybe if you want. It's studying the nature, the character of God. It's studying how God thinks, what God's motives are. It's, it's how God uh, views us. It's how God views the world. It's how God views all of these hot-button topics. Um, it's, it's all of those things, but it all boils down to it's studying about the nature and character of who God is. So with that in mind, with that, you know, if, if, we, if we know what theology is, then what is a theologian? What is a theologian? Well, theologians, somebody who studies about God, somebody who knows something about who God is. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of a theologian, I think of, I have a very specific image that comes to mind. I don't know, you know, if, if you're, if you're kind of like me, it's very specific. I, I picture this like, picture this very, he's an old man and he's got a long scraggly gray beard and um, he's probably bald. I don't know why. Um, he's, he's, he's got a black robe on. He's sitting at an old wooden desk. He's got the ancient Hebraic scrolls and he's studying by candlelight. You know, it's, that's, that's kind of what I picture. When I picture a theologian, it, it, I'm, I'm picturing like this religious elite person, somebody who has been studying and devoted their life 50 years to studying the ancient scriptures. But what if I told you that everyone in this room is a theologian? 
Everyone in here is a theologian. Some of you are like, yeah, definitely. Some of you are like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but, but if I, so, so the way I, I, I think about that is if I asked you, if I asked you to tell me something about God, if you have an answer, if you have a response, tell me something about who God is. If you have a response to that question, well, I think that qualifies you as a theologian. The question is, are you a good theologian? The question is, do you know, is, is what you're going to tell me about who God is, is it accurate or is it not so accurate? Do you, what, what you tell me about who God is, is that something that is true or is that something that you've heard? Is that just something that maybe you've made up in your mind? Is that something that you want to be true about God, but it's not actually true about God? What, what are you telling me? Are you a good theologian or are you a bad theologian? So let me ask you this. Why is, why is having that good theology so important? Of course, that seems like a very obvious question. Why is, that, why, is, why is having good theology so important? Well, having good theology is important because we want an accurate view of who God is. We want to know the God we're worshiping. We don't want a figment of our imagination that we're worshiping. We want, we want to worship the one true God, and we want an accurate view of who God is. Unfortunately, especially I feel like in this day and age, of course, we just read about it in, in the Old Testament too, we allow sometimes outside information to influence how we view God. We allow a lot of other things that's going on around us, we allow that to influence what we think and how we view who God is. As I was studying, um, you know, and really preparing for this message, I, I came across um, uh, an article, and, and I really like this quote that, that uh, was in here. It says, Those who are quick to alter their beliefs and convictions to accommodate the shifting opinions of the world are unlikely to develop good theology. Let me read that again. Those who are quick to alter their beliefs and convictions to accommodate the shifting opinions of the world are unlikely to develop good theology. To put that another way, uh, you are letting the world tell you who God should be instead of letting God tell you who the world should be. Does that make sense? You're letting the world and the things around you tell you who you think God should be, instead of allowing God to tell you what all the situations around you should look like. See, I feel like if we aren't, if we aren't uh, diligent about pursuing good, solid, scripture-based theology, then inevitably we're going to start believing something about God that's just not true. And you see that all throughout, all throughout scripture, once people kind of let their guard down, all of this, this other stuff starts to infiltrate and then you have to have a, a king like Josiah come in and take drastic measures. When we aren't diligent to actually pursue good scripture-based theology, 
we are inevitably going to believe something about God that's just not true. And then when we start to believe something about God that's just not true, then the God that we believe in just isn't real. That's a bold statement. But I think it's true. When we believe something about God that's not true, when we believe something about God that is inaccurate, then the God that we are believing in just isn't real. And so, when we put our faith in that, when we stand on that, when we, when we, when we, when stuff just doesn't go right and we have to find something solid to stand on, our belief in a God that's not actually true isn't going to hold up. It's kind of like this thing that I built last night that, uh, you know, it's, it, it looks pretty sturdy. I think it's pretty sturdy. I know the guy that built it. I think it's sturdy. Um, but, but unfortunately, you know, if I, if I try to put any weight on this right here, this isn't going to hold me. If I try to put weight on this, it's just not, it's just not going to work. <laughs> because my theology is just paper thin. My theology is paper thin when I start letting outside sources tell me who God is. My theology isn't going to stand up. And so when I try to stand on something, it's just going to fall straight through and it's not going to hold me up. It's not a solid foundation. It's not any good. It's good for nothing. It's worthless and it should be tossed out because my belief is in a God that's just not real. So where does that theology come from? Where's that bad theology? Where does that, when I, when I have an inaccurate view of who God is, the, those, those false views of, of the nature and character of God, where does that stuff come from? Well, it's easy for me to say, uh, you know, it comes from, uh, it, it comes from other churches that, that just don't line up. Maybe you have a, a, a picture in your head of, of a denomination or a church or a pastor that you just don't agree with, and you're going to let all of Facebook know that you don't agree with them. That's kind of a joke, but only kind of. But that's not, I, I would venture to say that is not actually, uh, you know, that might be a, a part of where bad theology comes from. But that's really not, not what I'm talking about. And I am by no means here to church bash or pastor bash or denomination bash. Like that's, that's not at all what I'm here to do. But I want to shine some light on areas where I think we get bad theology. And then we're going to talk, of course, about how we can get a good, solid, accurate view of, of who God is. So bad theology to me, I think it comes from anyone, any influence that we have in the outside world that doesn't actually come back to Scripture. If it doesn't fall back to Scripture, that's, that's not something that I can stand on. And you see that, I mean, it's, it's really easy to, to find that um, in, in, in celebrities today, in actors and actresses that go on stage and, and give glory to God for, for their Oscar or whatever they're getting. And then promote their, their agenda and what they think the world should look like. 
and somehow, you know, it, it starts to become a little bit gray. You know, you have this person who you look up to, and, and they're giving glory to God, but they're, they're also, on this other hand, promoting something that isn't quite, doesn't quite line up with how God thinks and how God responds, and it, it gets a little bit gray. You see that with, with athletes. You see that with um, uh, politicians. You see that with, you know, there's a lot of people who have some sort of platform to tell us how they think things should be run, how they think things should, should happen. And in one hand, it, it looks good. It looks like something that, that, I mean, it sounds good, but it doesn't line up with who God is. It doesn't line up with who God is. But if I don't actually take that back to Scripture, and I don't actually see that that's not actually who God is, I'm going to start to rely on that thing, and I'm going to try and stand on that and say, this is no, this is right, and I'm going to fall through because it, 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 doesn't, have any, it doesn't have any solidity. It doesn't have any, any foundation to it. So you see it from, from all those people. You see it from celebrities, and you see it on the news. You see it on TV. You see it in movies. You hear it in songs. You hear it on the radio, all of that stuff. But you also hear it um, from your coworkers talking around the, the, the water cooler, free to give their opinions about who they think God is. You hear it in, in families. Um, families are, are free to give to give their opinions about what they think you should do in a situation and how they think um, God would respond to this thing. You see it on social media. Goodness gracious, you see it on social media. Let me just take a second and say some of y'all need to get off Facebook. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Social media gives everyone a platform to say whatever they want. And not only does it give everyone a platform to say whatever they want, but it does it in a way that they can hide behind a keyboard, and that way they can feel free to let it loose, let it fly. Everything that I want to say that I might not say to your face in person, I can say it through a keyboard on this platform that I've been given. And then people read that, and because, I don't know, maybe they, they respect that, that person, maybe they, they just think that that might line up, they start to believe, people start to believe that this is, that this is a good way to think, that this is a good, solid thing to, to think through. And to me, I think that's, those are places where we get bad theology. Those are places where we get, those are places where we get an inaccurate view of the nature and character of God. That when we're, when we're using those things to study who God is, inevitably, we believe things about God that aren't true. And then when we believe things about God that aren't true, then our faith in that God isn't real. So where does good theology come from? Good theology comes from Scripture. Good theology comes from Scripture. That's it. That's the only thing I got. Good theology comes from Scripture. That's it. That's all you got. <laughs> Good theology comes from Scripture. Now, now, 
Good theology can come from the pulpit. Good theology can come from pastors. Good theology can come from books. Good theology can come from small groups. Good theology can come from worship songs. Good theology can come from a lot of places, but they all have to be rooted in Scripture. It has to be rooted in Scripture. All of those things have to be found and rooted in Scripture. And if it's not, guess what? It's just an opinion. That's all it is. If it doesn't have, if it doesn't have Scripture to back it up, it is nothing but an opinion. And it's not worth standing on. It's not worth standing on. So, a couple things that... Uh, Couple, couple scriptures that I've pulled out here, just to kind of, just to kind of back up why the Word of God is 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 valid and it's something that we can stand on. Um, first, Second uh, Timothy, Second Timothy two, starting in sixteen, it says this: Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer as is the case of Hymenius and Philetus. Y'all know any Hymenius's, Philetius's? No, me neither. They have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. In this, in this scripture here, it says that they are claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. But I think that that can be, that can be replaced with anything that, that goes against what the Scriptures say. They are leading you to believe that sex before marriage is the norm, and, and that, is, that is something that you don't, have to, you don't have to wait until marriage anymore. Hey, everybody's doing it. It's fine. It's okay. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. Because that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Scripture says. They have, they have taught you that, that because God is a loving God, He wants to love and accept everyone. And because you know He wants to accept all people, all the beliefs, we want to coexist and everybody should just get along despite their lifestyle, despite their beliefs and all of those things. And you know what? That's just, that's just, not, that's just not true. But in this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. Because it all sounds good, but it's just not true. Let me read Ephesians 4 to you. Ephesians 4, um, starting in, in uh, it's just, just Ephesians 4.14. It says, Then we will no longer be like immature children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Gosh, I love the way that that scripture is worded. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. How are we not going to be influenced? Well, we're not going to be influenced because we're going to be people of the word. 
That's how we're not going to be influenced because we're going to take everything. We're going to, we're going to research it in scripture. We're going to see that it all, that it, it either does or it doesn't line up with scripture. And I'm going to take the good. I'm going to refuse the bad. And that's how I'm going to not be influenced by lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Galatians chapter 1. Verse 11 says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, Paul says, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's how I know that what Paul's saying, I can, I can believe. I know that I can believe all of Paul's writings, two-thirds of the New Testament, because I know he didn't receive it from man, nor was he taught it, but it was a revelation from Jesus Christ himself. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. It's not the word of men, it is the word of God. Second Peter chapter 1 starting in 19. Actually, if you go a little bit before 19, in this passage, Peter is uh, describing his encounter. It's just a brief description of of what he experienced um, from Matthew 17, the Mount of Transfiguration, where he saw Jesus, he saw Moses, he saw Elijah on the mountain in their transfigured bodies. It was an incredible experience for him. And he says that that experience actually backed up Scripture. I can see it in Scripture, it says. It says in verse 19, and we have we have the prophetic word now it's more fully confirmed because I saw it I read it and now I saw it we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts knowing this first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried on by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3. I know this is a lot of scripture, but I think scripture is a pretty important thing. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in 15. Paul tells Timothy that you have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That's why every sermon, every idea that you hear, every Instagram post that you see, every political uh, platform or agenda, everything should be held up against scripture to see if it's actually valid. That's why, that's why the Bereans get such a good name. In Acts chapter 17, Starting in 10, it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, 
They received the word with all eagerness, with all eagerness. They received the word with all eagerness. That means they wanted to hear the word of God. They, they were asking Paul, hey, teach us more. I want to hear more. I want to hear what you have to say. They received it with all eagerness, but it didn't stop there. A lot of times we stop at the eagerness part. We're eager to hear some more teaching. We're eager to, to listen to, to some more pastors, but it doesn't stop there. It says with all eagerness, they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That's why the Bereans get a good name. It wasn't necessarily the eagerness part, but they examined the scriptures to see if what they heard from Paul they could actually stand on. Was it paper-thin theology, or was it something that they could actually stand on? And in verse 12, many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So then, if that's true... Scripture's the only way. If we want an accurate view of who God is, if we want an accurate view of the nature and character of God, if we want something that, that we can actually stand on that isn't going to fall through, it's not paper-thin theology, if that's true, how do we go about studying the Bible? How do, we, how do we go about receiving that good theology? It's one thing to know where good, the, good theology comes from. It's another thing to actually put that into practice and say, I want to receive that. Let me actually do that thing. So here's what I teach our teenagers. This is what I teach, uh, this is what I teach our teenagers, and I have, I've been trying to drill this in for, for the last couple months on how to go about studying the Scripture because I think it's really, um, it just boils it down from something that seems um, intimidating to something that seems manageable. So this is what I teach them. Number one, you can't study the Word without reading the Word. That's what you got to do. First of all, you got to read the Word. That's what you got to do. You have to read the Word. Open it up. I, I'm a fan of, of, of paper, of an actual paper Bible. I don't know. Maybe that's, that's not necessarily like God speak. That's Brock opinion. I don't know. Um, but I'm a fan of, of an actual Bible, something that I can highlight right here and write in, write in the margins. None of that's a sin. You don't have to. Uh, you can actually write in your Bible. That's okay. Um, that's, that's just me. But, but get in the Word. Actually read the Word. That's number one. Read the Word. Number two, write the Word. Write the word. Read the word. Write the word. I'm not talking about like a, a, a Christian um, punishment. Like I'm going to write out Ephesians 4:29 50 times because I'm being punished. I will not use the uncorrupt talk. You know, like I'm not. That's that's not what I'm talking. I'm not talking about repeating the scripture over and over. I'm talking about what is God saying in this passage. I've I've read a passage. It could be uh, it could be a book. It could be a chapter. It could be one verse. What did God say through this thing? I'm going to write it out. What did God say? What does that mean? What does it mean for me? How is God revealing himself through this scripture? I'm going to write that out. I'm going to read it. I'm going to write it. The last thing I'm going to do is pray it. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to write the word. I'm going to pray the word. I'm going to pray that scripture over myself. I'm going to pray that scripture over my family. I'm going to pray that scripture over my circumstances. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to write the word. I'm going to pray the word. And when I read the word, write the word, and pray the word, all of a sudden I'm, I'm getting that word inside of me. 
That's what I'm doing. It goes from words on a page to scripture in my heart, and I'm hiding that word in my heart so that I might not sin against him. I'm hiding that word in my heart so that the Holy Spirit has room to use that scripture to change my life, to change my family, to change my work environment, to change how, how I view the people around me. I'm going to, to get that good theology, that good, um, accurate view of who God is, and I'm going to put it deep down inside me. I'm going to read it. I'm going to write it. I'm going to pray it. So check this out. Not just paper theology anymore. Guess what we got? Look at this. We have good-looking theology now. We have something, we have something that's actually going to, to stand up. When we read the Word, we're going to add that to our, to our bank. We're going to put a deposit in here of, of good theology. I'm going to read the Word. I'm going to write the Word. I'm going to... I'm going to do it over and over and over again, and, and eventually soon I'm going to have something that I can actually stand on. I'm going to have something that is actually going to hold me up, that when everything around me is shaken, this stands right here. It's good theology. It's something I can stand on right now. When everything around me is going nuts, I can believe in this. This isn't going to fall through. This isn't paper-thin theology. This isn't a paper-thin view of a God that doesn't actually exist, a God that might sound good to other people, but he doesn't actually exist. This is something that's true because it comes back to God's word, and I can stand on that, and I can rely on that, and it's ageless, and it's timeless. It's going to be here today. It's going to be here tomorrow. And it's always going to be reliable. It's always something that I can count on. Amen? Amen. Good. So the last thing as I close. In Matthew chapter 4, we see an account of Jesus. This is after, right after he's, he's baptized, the Holy Spirit descends on him, and then, and then he's, it says that he's led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, the scripture says something very obvious, he was hungry. Sometimes you're not really sure why did, you didn't have to say that, Matthew. <laughs> we all knew. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't eat anything, didn't drink anything, and he says that he was hungry. And at that moment, in a, in a moment of, of when, when I would say that, that he's in a weak spot, some of us might feel like we would be in a weak spot if we hadn't eaten or drank anything for 40 days. The tempter comes to tempt. Satan comes to tempt. And when Satan comes to tempt, he tempts three times. He comes to tempt, and when he says something, he says, he says, man, I bet you're hungry, Jesus. Why don't you turn these rocks, why don't you turn these stones around you into bread? And Jesus responds, well, Satan, I saw on an Instagram post one time. Well, well, Satan, I, I, I heard this motivational uh, quote one time that said, that's, that's not what he said. He didn't even say, I heard a worship song. My favorite worship song says, that's not even what he said. He didn't say, I, I heard a great pastor say, 
He didn't say any of that stuff. Instead, he was tempted three times, and all three times he said, it is written. It is written. So when I'm faced with something, when my family's faced with something, when stuff is attacking me, where's my foundation? Where's my theology? Is it this paper-thin stuff that you only get from everything else except for Scripture? Or is it something solid? that I can stand on, that I can rely on, that I can come back to the tempter, that I can come back to Satan himself and say, listen, Satan, you might be, you might be trying to use this stuff against me, but I know because I read it, because I write it, because I pray it, because I'm diligent to study the word of God, I know that what you're saying isn't true because I have something that I can stand on. And listen here, Satan, it is written it is written. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love your word. And we thank you for it, God. We thank you that you sent Jesus as, as the word of God become flesh. That he's perfect theology, and the more we get to know him, the more we get that perfect theology in us. The more we get an accurate view of who you are inside of us. Father, I pray for this church, for this body of believers. Lord, that we would take this seriously. That we would take it seriously that that scripture is the only place that we can get a view of who you are. That it's not by anything else that sounds good, that we're not going to be a people who are tricked with, with lies so clever they sound like the truth. But no, Lord, we want your truth in our life. We want your truth that stands firm when everything else is shaken. And that's the only thing that we want in our lives. Father, we... We ask that you bless it, that you seal it in our hearts, and that you change and move in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.